This is Eric Luby, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, and to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person, or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn. So this is called capitalizing the T in they. A mysterious title. I like it. Uh, and that will make sense as we progress. And for those of you that hang out here, you know that I really get into my names and I think them through. And I really like this name because it's important that you understand that you have a they in your life. You ever thought about that? There's a they in all of our lives. And if I said, who's your they? You usually don't know how to easily answer that because you have no clue what I'm even talking about. Who's, who's my they? But you know, when, when you say things like, they won't like this, or they will really get on me for that. Well, who is that? Who is the they? And we all have it. And it's a very strange, perplexing dimension to the way that we're wired as humans. Is that we care deeply about what other people think. Now you could ask me, so Eric, are you saying that that's a bad quality? I would say no, it's actually part of our wiring. It is good that you care about what other people think. It is, however, it's not supposed to dominate you and control you. But something about the sin that has been woven into our makeup since Adam and Eve, this propensity to care what people think has expanded and been amplified to a point where it controls us from even being sensitive to what really matters and doing that which is even right in a situation. So the idea of democracy is really a dangerous one. And that is when public opinion sways culture and sways government. And so I would say on paper, Democracy sounds really good because most of us think that we grew up in a democracy when in actuality we grew up in a constitutional republic. And however, which is swinging more and more towards democracy, but just imagine if 51% of a group wanted to do something that was really bad. If you were just controlled by democracy, wow, you could go downhill and very quickly. And so as a result, the idea of being swayed by public opinion is something that just is not a good thing. And there is something that is supposed to sway us. So when I say something like capitalizing the T in they, I'm saying you were built to be swayed by a they. However, you need to make sure that your they is the right they. So classic quotes about they. But what would they say? But they won't like it. But they won't approve. But they will never go for this. Just classics, right? Now, if you were to somehow be able to dig down into that deeper level of your soul and really expose the they in your life, technically as believers, you're supposed to always have a they. It's just supposed to be the capital version, which I haven't gotten to yet, right? So I'm not saying you shouldn't have a they. I'm just saying, is the they the right they? And I have had multiple they's in my life. And they's are always close uh, to Eric Ludi, even though I'm very sensitive to the control of they in my life. And I want my they to be heavenly and not earthly. 
However, Eric Ludi is very susceptible to the impact and the power and the voice of they, just like you are. And so I have had people enter into the they position in my life where when I'm making a decision, I always will filter it like I pause and I hesitate and I think of someone and I think of what they would say to that decision. When I was navigating forward in my first steps of radical obedience to Jesus Christ, and I was thinking of leaving college, okay, so I'm just going to give you my first little illustration of a very clear they in my life. And as I was thinking of making that decision, I had a clear sense that God was saying, follow me to the mission field. Eric, are you willing to lay this down? This was a process I was going through. Am I willing to lay this down? But this was my identity. I was studying for this. I was a soccer player in this. I, I had like an identity and you know, my family respected it, my friends understood it, and there was a certain thing going that I had, and I was approved by the world around me for it. And so when God started knocking on that and poking at that, and I was in agreement with God, yes, I will follow you. But the, even as I was beginning to move, I had a very clear they in my life that was frowning. Now, I never had a conversation with this they, I never came up to this they and said, what do you think about this? But in a strange way, I knew that my they would not approve. And as a result, I hesitated and I was in agony over my decision. And you could say, didn't God make it clear what you're supposed to do? Yes, he did. Well, then why are you in agony? I don't know. But for whatever reason, it's really hard for me to go against this person's approval. Uh, I do not want to make a decision that causes them grief. I do not want to have a frown from them. I really desire to please this person. And what's funny is if you were to break it down, I'm trying to be as vague as I can about even who the person is, right? It wasn't my parents, by the way. It was a third party element in my life that had greatly invested in me. And they had plans for me. They had invested a significant amount in me, and they seemed to have dreams for my life. And they were good dreams. They involved a lot of money. They involved a lot of influence. And so they weren't like bad dreams, right? They were good dreams, and I sort of liked the dreams. And so by obeying God, I was in a sense negating all of that investment, or at least that's the way it felt. And so as a result, I found myself being controlled by a they to the point that emotionally it was very traumatic for me. And even as I did obey God and I did go on the mission field, the whole time I was concerned. And there were moments where I'd actually start breaking down and crying over the fact that I felt like I had violated something and I felt a disapproval, a wave of disapproval coming, even though nothing was ever stated. I felt it. And so they were talking to me. They were not happy with me. And yet, this poor person that is in the they position, I never talked to them and gave them even the opportunity to weigh in on the situation. They just held this funny position in my life. I had to, and this is, I'm, skip, I'm, I'm very vague in my story. I recognize that, and it's, I'm sorry about that. But you'd understand if you started talking about your they in your life, you'd understand why vagaries sometimes are important. But I had to walk through a spiritual process of breaking that hold over my life and to literally make it clear that spiritually I was under 
Jesus Christ and his good opinion is what controlled me and not the opinion of men. And it was a very, very significant transition. Now, what's funny is even after I've gone through that, and that's back when I was young 20s, and I'm 51, you could say, whew, well, glad that you got rid of all that they problem that you had, Eric. And yet you can collect they's. And I don't know how we do it, but we're like magnets for they's. There's a culture out there, and most of us understand that they would not approve of certain things that are talked about in Ellerslie Chapel, right? They wouldn't like it. And if, if I said, who's they? You're like, oh, I don't know. It's just they. You see, it's a culture, and they, in the culture itself, is a they. And we know at any given point what the social correctness is or what the political correct vibe is, what the woke crowd is saying. A woke crowd is the best way of describing they that exists, in my opinion. That is exactly who they is. But if you tried to put a face to the woke crowd, it'd be really hard to do it. It's just they. And so I have collected they's over time where I will feel a pressure. And ironically, in the church, there's a lot of they that goes on. And it's odd that it could be in here too. Denominational pressures and doctrinal uh, pressures that you have to fit a certain mold. It's like if you have any brain, you would come to this conclusion. That's really difficult when you want to have a brain, but you're not coming to the same conclusion. And so there's a lot of pressure that can come even internally as a leader from different sectors of the church system. It's like, if you want our approval, no one ever says it though, right? But if you want our approval, if you want our endorsement, then you'll, you'll stand with us in this. Do you hear me, Ludie? No one ever says it out loud, but Ludie hears them. And I remember one pastor just saying it bluntly to me. Eric, they will not support you unless you sign off on this. And if I said, who's they? I, you know, I, how would he even respond to that? Who's they? It's just, it's this system out there. And he knows this system just like I do. And they will not stand with you. They will not push behind you. In fact, they will resist you if you don't sign off on this. And of course, classic moments. You know, this is the development of a man right here. It's like, I cannot go against my conscience and do that. So be it. However, guess what? That they then follows me. And I still have the they, and it's still there, and I'm still, every decision I make, I know I'm offending the they. All right, so I'm just getting they out on the counter here, and I want you to sort of recognize that this is a very real thing in the Christian existence. Because you come to Christ doesn't mean you are now immune to they. The small t they, the cultural they, the earthly they. In fact, in many regards, it enhances and amplifies your sensitivity to it because now you have been awakened to a different they. And as a result, you have this tension and this battle. And what you see most of the church today doing is compromising what they know is God's clear commission of how we are to live to begin to fit in and go under the radar in our system. If you just fit your Christianity into the lowercase t they system, everything will be so much more pleasant. But Christianity does not fit, never has fit, into the lowercase t they system. It always butts up against it. Always. Proverbs 29, 25. 
the fear of man brings a snare, but whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Isn't that interesting? You've heard the term the fear of man, but I just described the fear of man in sort of my uh, funny intro to this of my vagaries and all that. It's the fear of man. It's, it's the consideration of what man thinks over what God thinks. When you elevate, because it's actually good that I am concerned about what you would think. It's not like a bad thing that I would care about you and care about your opinion and have you have input. There's nothing wrong with that. It's when I allow human input to overrule God input. And when that happens, that's when there's a problem and a breakdown of soul. And the fear of man, the elevation of man's opinion, where it's in a controlling position over your life and over your decision-making, brings a snare. But whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Matthew 15, 12. Then his disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? I have had this statement, now it's very different in how it's been expressed to me, many times in my life. Eric, you do know that when you did this, that offended this group. I know. And it's not like I'm happy about that. I'm very aware of it. And that's, it's, it's a voice that's there. And am I going to be controlled by that voice? One of the classic uh, illustrations in my life, I was speaking out on the East Coast. And, you know, someone obviously wanted Eric Ludy to come out there. You know, sometimes I've shown up in speaking situations where it's like, did one of you actually invite me or did I invite myself? Because they, you don't seem very excited about what I'm saying right now. Someone, I'm assuming, out there wanted this. I mean, did you do your due diligence and figure out who I am? I mean, what in the world's going on here? And so it was called something like the Bravehearted Conference. I mean, so if something's going to be called the Bravehearted Conference, they named it. Then I would expect that I would have the freedom to show a little Bravehearted Christianity, right? And so I get up there and I'm just delivering the goods, you know, because, hey, this is the Bravehearted Conference and we're going to make sure it's the Bravehearted Conference. And the first night I had a, a, a guy with me, traveling with me, and uh, they came up to him, this group, this contingent came up to him and said, yeah, a lot of people are really offended by the way Eric is talking. And could you tell him to tame it down and tone it down tomorrow? Because this is a Friday going into a Saturday. And so this poor guy that's with me is like in this awkward position to come up to Eric and tell me to tone it down. So I, I don't know how you could imagine that I, I handled that. I show up the next morning and I go, I was told... I was told that I was supposed to tame it down and tone it down, that some of you were getting offended by what I was doing. I want to remind you about the name of this conference. If I'm going to do my job and show you what a brave-hearted Christian is, this is my proving ground right now. How do I respond to that appeal? I'll show you. And then I got louder. <laughs> John 9, 20 through 22. His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But, what, what, but, but by what means, sorry that there's a, 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 a quotes, quotation in there, but by what means he now sees we do not know, or who opened his eyes we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. 
Most of us in here don't have a lot of sensitivity to how serious of a thing it is to be put out of the synagogue. It's like, yeah, you can put me out of the synagogue and I won't care. But back in that day, that was their culture. And so as a result, it was a significant thing to the point where it cowed and quieted and silenced everyone. And so you have these parents whose son was just transformed and set free by Jesus being healed. They know it, but they will not speak it because they feared the Pharisees. And so in every generation, we have the same dynamic. This is a cultural religious system too. And that's why it's odd for us to realize that even in the religious systems, this can be a very real thing. It's not just culture out there, it's subcultures that can have a controlling element and become a they in our life, but they won't like that. I can't talk about him being the Christ because they will put me out of the synagogue. Who's they? It's a system. It's a mentality that is bonded together and we can feel that. However, how does a Christian live? Now, it's easy to say that I would have happily declared that Jesus Christ healed them because we can sound so bold 2,000 years later. And yet, all we need to do is transplant ourselves into any situation similarly today and you recognize that it's very difficult to speak up. It's very difficult to actually be a proponent of the truth in a generation that doesn't want to hear it. John 12, 42 through 43. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. Isn't that an amazing statement? Among the rulers, many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. There is a, the principle of cancel culture, by the way, if any of you have ever studied how it works, is you will be canceled and your job will be hindered and they will put their weight as an organizational they against your life if you dare say things that go against the system, the correctness of the age. That's what it is. They will cancel you out. They will nullify your voice. You want to keep your job? You stay silent right now. What it means to be put out of the synagogue doesn't really relate to us today in a, in a clear sense, but that's what it is. It's a nullification of your voice. It's a diminishment of your position. It's losing your income. Those are big deals for us. If you've spent your entire life being educated for a specific position, it becomes very, very difficult to have to make a decision to stand for what is true or to just compromise a little so you can keep your job. And many of us in America haven't run into that until the past few years, where it's actually become far more understood by us, even though some of us are still like, that oh, didn't affect me. My job was never threatened by what took place over the last couple of years. And yet I'm very aware of what is happening. And I do recognize that this will begin to creep into this territory if we continue in this trajectory. Yes, revival is always a possibility. But in the current trajectory, I mean, there was just a few years ago where if I say certain things from this pulpit, if you call this a pulpit, I'm just standing on a stage, but conceptually, symbolically, if I say certain things that I can literally potentially be brought before a court of law and considered a hate monger, and it could be a hate crime, 
if I were to say certain things from this vantage point. And that was a real threat. In other countries, that is a real threat. In America, there's still enough freedom that I could do it. Now, retroactively, they could go back and listen to all sorts of my sermons and go, this guy is a problem. In other words, they could access what I've said. And I know that full well. When I'm up here, I have a they, but that they has to be kept out of this building. I know they're there, and I know they're listening. And you could say, Eric, I think it's time to go underground. You should delete all your past messages. And you, I mean, there's a lot of great strategies we could take. And they're reasonable to consider. They are. However, for me, I've already taken a step forward to say, I know where I stand, and I don't mind if others do too. Eric, you do know what that could cost you. I do. But don't you realize that every one of us as Christians needs to answer the same question and say, are you willing to put it on your sleeve? Are you willing to stand for Jesus? The difficulty and the tension that some of us feel is that when you are bold and when you are strong, it can definitely be interpreted as being uncaring, unfeeling, and unloving, and unkind. And I get that. The last thing I ever want to portray to a lost and dying world is an unkind, unloving Jesus. Because he is love. He is kindness. He is mercy. And yet we're being put in a very unique position to stand sounds and gets interpreted as being, you know, bullyish and buck-toothed and everything about it is wrong. And so it becomes all the harder to stand in a position of truth when it doesn't convey our heart. Look, I love you. I care about you. And yet it doesn't translate that way. This is a very, very challenging season for the church, which is why we need to have the tools to know how to walk in it. Seven, the seven most common pressure chambers. There's different ones. Uh, it's not just the social one, but political pressure. If you are in politics, the pressures to vote along party lines are immense. And it's exactly what I'm talking about. You'll be put out of the synagogue. In a political sense, it is very difficult to be the lone ranger. Very difficult. One of my favorite guys in history, Winston Churchill, he was in a political party, but he didn't stand with the political party. He literally was willing to stand alone. It's one of my favorite things about him, right? I like that. I like the guy who is willing to say, I stand against Hitler, even though it is considered hate-mongering and war-mongering right now. What he's doing needs to be stopped. No one would listen. It was the politically incorrect view in 1939. And then in 1940, it became correct. And guess who was the one that had been standing for it the whole time? And it gave him an opportunity now to take leadership uh, of the British nation during the time no one in their right mind would ever want that leadership. Political pressure, it's a very real thing. Social pressure, it's a very real thing. Peer pressure, it's a very real thing. I think when we get older, we have a tendency to look at peer pressure and we're like, come on. I mean, this isn't that big of a deal. If I was young again, I could easily just say, no. It's a very real pressure. Church pressure, I know, shocking that that can exist, but it does. Family pressure. Isn't that a, a funny one to put in the list? But it's, it's very real. A lot of us, in our, even our decision-making, when we have a they, it's just our parents. It's not a bad thing that a parent would be there. When I went to college, my mom was there with me. Everywhere I went, she was there. 
and she would be saying things to me. You know, it's like, Eric, you need to separate your darks from your lights. You know, everywhere I was. Uh, and she would correct my grammar. I had all sorts of mom moments where she was just there with me. She was like my conscience with me. In a positive sense, I say that. It's a good thing to have influencers in your life that you then look to and say, but what would they think? It's not a bad thing. It's does that control you over the heavenly control? Parental pressure and then financial pressure. All of those can contort our soul. And every single one of us, it's hard for me to imagine any of us in here have never felt uh, any of those seven things. But now this is just an example of what can come as a result of heeding that pressure. But political pressure, corruption. Social pressure, duplicity, that's hypocrisy. Peer pressure, promiscuity, a lowering of moral standard. Church pressure, pharisaism, <laughs> it's a good way of describing it. Family pressure, men pleasing. Parental pressure, compromise. Financial pressure, anxiety. Each of these is a breakdown of the human soul. It's not the way we were intended to be in the heavenly design. And so as a result, when we allow the voice of men or the voice of culture to be the lead instrument, it does not mean that it's not there. Our culture is where it's at. And if we're going to effectively reach it, we need to know where it's at. And so just to, to say, hey, I throw out culture, I won't talk to anyone that's in culture, means we're immediately turning into the hermit. We have lost connection with a dying world. So to know where they're at, to know what they think, isn't the problem. It's to be controlled by where they're at and controlled by the way they think. That is the problem. Anthroparoskos, it's a great word, isn't it? Uh, and so this means studying to please man, courting the favor of men. So as you go through the New Testament, this word will be brought up as something to not have in your soul that you are not to study to please men. Have you ever noticed that there's, I don't know how many of you are like me growing up, right? But I literally was, would study the culture in which I was in. Well, I was in the public school system and there's just a lot of pressure. And I just didn't want, I wanted to be cool and I wanted to be in the popular crowd, but, and I, it was almost like two different pressures. I didn't want to be deemed one of these kids like the kids that really don't have a clue and they, you know, they're, they're made fun of all day. I don't want to be those. Now, I, I can't force myself into the popular crowd, but I can at least study the system to know what causes someone to look doofish in the world. And so you become a student. It's like you're gaining your PhD. You're learning that a lot faster than you're learning your algebra, believe me. You're learning what sounds cool. You're learning the walk. You're learning the talk. You're learning the clothing so that you can appease they. And yet, like, who's in charge of this? Who is the, the kingpin of they? And yet it's a system that is very real to us. And most of us, even if you didn't go to public school, know those pressures. Anthroparoskos. Ephesians 6, verse 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers, anthroparoskos, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. So if you're going to carry out your Christianity, you don't carry it out with anthroparoskos. Galatians 1, do I seek to please men? Do, am I seeking anthroparoskos? Good question for all of us. For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Boy, is that a strong statement. If I am still elevating the opinion of the culture around me, if I'm still trying to please men, if I'm still concerned about what the Pharisees think, then I am not a bondservant of Jesus Christ. 
That is a very, very stout statement. Theos paraskos. So if you know uh, that Greek word theos, meaning God, this is taking the same concept but replacing the anthro, the human or the man side, with the God side. Choosing to please God over man. Considering obedience to God the primary virtue. When you actually land your feet on the primary virtue of the Christian life, not pleasing men, but pleasing God. And it does not mean you don't care about men. That's the misunderstanding that comes with this. It's like you have a blankness towards all the people around you because you're pleasing God. No, because if you're pleasing God, you're going to have God's nature and attitude towards those people, but you're not controlled by them. You are controlled by something higher, and it's God's opinion that matters. Acts 4, 18 through 20. So they, speaking of the rulers, the elders, and the scribes, called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. And it's funny because it says, so they. See, there's a they for you right there. So they did that. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Isn't that an interesting aim? Listen, listen to this again. I'll read it again. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Who are you pleasing? Are you a men-pleaser, anthroparaskos, or are you a God-pleaser, theosparaskos? Which is the orientation of your soul? A lot of times at Ellerslie, I'll divide up the stage sort of like this. And so there's always something on my left, you're right, but on my left, which is always a first condition. And then there's a second condition when I move this way. We all start out anthroparaskos. It's in our wiring. And it's not a bad thing. It's just that it's being controlled by sin and flesh. So therefore, that neutral agent in our life of elevating a they and being controlled by a they has the wrong control system. And it's the systems of this world. And so we're very, very sensitive to what people think of us. Insecure because of it. We want to please. We want the applause. We want people to notice us. We want people to like us. It's a very real facet of the human makeup. Not necessarily all wrong, just disturbed by the presence of sin. And so as a result, as believers, we are set free from being controlled by that, the fear of man, and we move into a different system where this dimension of us is actually set free from the tyranny of public approval. That we do not have to have the applause of this world to be satisfied. But instead, we aim our gaze heavenward and are satisfied by his approval. And technically, his approval comes in and through the shed blood of Jesus. Because God has favor and approval to what Christ did. And what we do when we make this move from the first condition into a second condition and we're born again, is in a sense we are finding our hiding place in Christ's work, which gets a standing ovation from heaven. And so therefore, we are suddenly approved. We are popular in heaven. We actually have that dimension of us satiated. It does not mean we don't carry around a vulnerability 
to this side of the ledger. It's very real. We live in a hostile world and we have a constant pull in this direction, which is why we are going to get the commission to pick up our cross daily. That every day we need to die to this one behavior, this one side of us, and live to this side. The heavenly they. Now, you know, I started out by talking about capitalizing the T in they. See, one of our problems is not that we have a they, it's that it's the lowercase t, they, that is controlling us. But there is a greater they. And I'm going to call that the 66 that always have something to say on the matter. And that's a study of a different sort. It's a study in the power of biblical persuasion. What controls you? It's an interesting thought because when I say that a they, you're thinking of the Trinity, and you would be accurate. I think that is a great way of saying it, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. However, they've also revealed themselves to us in a very, very practical and clear way, and that is through the Word of God. The text of Scripture is like a they. There's 66 counselors there. And as a result, you should consider what they say. And so whenever you make a decision, what are you considering? What is in the they position in your life? When I'm in a counseling situation with someone and I ask them certain questions, and I'm not one of those FBI interrogators where I know that when they, you know, people's eyes move to the right, they're consulting this part of their, their brain and that means they're lying. You know, I, I don't, I'm not good at that type of stuff. However, it is interesting because I will notice, I'll give a very simple question and someone will consult something. It's like, well, what does the scripture say though? Because isn't that your they? They're looking to something else, and that is the system they came from. There is another thing that they are referencing other than the scriptures. And so then I'm having to poke at that. Who are you talking to right now? What are you listening to? Because that isn't what your chief counselor is. The word of God is your chief counselor. And yet they are still appealing to something else, saying, what do you think about this? And I'm always like, okay, circle that. What is that? Who are you talking to? And it's the same thing I would say to all of us. Who are you talking to? What are you listening to that might have a higher position than the word of God? Classic quotes about they. Now imagine if you were to have these classic quotes about they be in the capital T form of they. Like you're actually thinking about what God has to say on the matter. But what would they say? Well, that's a good question. We should be asking that as, as believers. But they won't like it. Well, if they won't like it, you should take that rather seriously. If the scriptures don't like the way you're deciding to go on this one, well, then you should pause. You should pause. It's a really good idea. But they won't approve. But they will never go for this. Well, that does matter when it is properly placed. When your they is heavenly, when it is God's opinion, when it is God's perspective, those things should have weight in your life. John 12, 43, for they, speaking of the Pharisees, a great picture of they, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. You see, anything that forms into a lowercase t, they, is based on this same premise. The Pharisees are an incredible picture of they in the New Testament. And what are they? They are a picture of those that wanted to please men more than they wanted to please God. And as a result, they're going to create a sub-they, an earthly they system that if you don't play, with, you know, play along with those rules and you're not woke with that system, then you are out of the synagogue. And that is a very, very sensitive thing for all of us to walk through. 
So here's Christian History 101. Imagine if this was what was said about us, because this is what's been said about Christians throughout history. For they, the true Christians, loved the praise of God more than the praise of men. That is what we truly desire. We want theos paraskos. We want to be God-pleasers. I am very sensitive to the fact that we live in a time period in history where I think we as the believers need to learn how to better address a lost and dying world and not just use old systems and old phrases. And uh, I, I do believe, like for instance, one of my passions is to be better equipped to reach people that are in a post-Christian era as opposed to expect them to understand what we're talking about. Well, the word of God says this. They're like, what are you even talking about? Why would I care what the word of God says? The entire system of the transgender type of system and mentality that has thrown the male-female ideas to the wind and there's no more definition of these things. This is a weird world for many of us to know how to navigate, so we could just throw people out. And so it's not my encouragement at all. That is our mission field. That is the very object of desire that we have is to see them one for Christ. But how we go about doing this, we cannot be subservient to this, the cultural correctness and the political correctness in the process. We need to be under the word of God in our governance. And I, believe me, I, I'm a firm believer that the word of God is one that is willing to deliver mercy when mercy is needed. It is one that is kind when kindness is required. It is also firm when firmness is required. And we need the Spirit of God to groom us not to be harsh, demeaning, and separatistic in our natures, and I will not have anything to do with this, but to say, God, how do I go into this world, not be of it, and reach it for you? And this is part of it. We need to be brave. We need to be bold, but we need to be bold and brave God's style, not cultural style. There's a lot of models for John Wayneism bravery. We're wanting the Jesus version of bravery that's willing to be stripped naked, hung on a cross, mocked and ridiculed, but love the whole time. Let's do it Jesus style. Father, this is our request, that you would equip us and empower us with your grace and the power of your Holy Spirit to love as you love, to serve as you serve, to speak as you speak, to stand when you stand. Lord Jesus, we want your confidence and your strength for such an hour. We want to be God-pleasers and not men-pleasers. Lord, I pray that you would equip us for such a time as this. Lord, we love you and we trust you. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.